You're listening to Precinct 444, a podcast network from the National Law Enforcement Museum. Today we're bringing you an episode from Law and Disorder, where we dive into the world of true crime stories with memorable cases that have lasting effects for law enforcement. When 37-year-old Nancy Riggins disappeared without a trace in July of 1996, her friends and family were shocked. Nancy lived a seemingly storybook life. She had a job that she loved at the local supermarket, and she lived in a beautiful home in Elkridge, Maryland, with Steve, her husband of 10 years, and their 5-year-old daughter, Amanda. But that picture-perfect life was starting to unravel. I'm Anna Muckenfoos, and this is Law and Disorder. Today, we're going to be diving into the disappearance of Nancy Riggins, a case that really captivated the DMV area for nearly a decade, as it appeared that this woman truly did disappear without a trace. And in the investigation, twists and turns will really keep you on your toes. So without further ado, let's really get into today's case. Steve Riggins worked nights at the Patapsco Water Treatment Plant in Baltimore City, grinding through 12-hour shifts that ran from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. each night. On the evening of July 1, 1999, Steve kissed his wife Nancy goodbye and headed to the plant for another shift. While at the plant, around 8 p.m., Steve did speak to his wife briefly on the telephone and then continued with his shift. At 6 a.m. on July 2nd, Steve returned home from his shift and everything seemed normal. Nancy's minivan was parked in its usual space in the family's driveway, the front door was unlocked, and the couple's five-year-old daughter Amanda was sleeping soundly in her bedroom. But Nancy herself was nowhere to be found. Nancy had not left a note or any hint as to where she had gone. There was no indication of an intruder's entrance into the home or a struggle of any kind. It was almost as if Nancy Riggins had simply vanished into thin air. Despite his wife's concerning absence, it would be over 24 hours before Steve called the police to report Nancy's disappearance. Riggins admitted to authorities that he had delayed his reporting of her disappearance as he thought it was mandatory in Maryland to wait 48 hours before reporting a missing person. However, in reality, there was no such a requirement in place, and Riggins could have easily reported his wife missing the moment he realized she wasn't anywhere to be found. Either way, Riggins described to authorities what he knew. He had come home from work in the early hours of July 2nd, and his wife was not home. He noticed the minivan was still in the driveway, and that his daughter Amanda was still asleep, alone, in her bedroom. Riggins also told investigators that he found Nancy's wedding rings sitting on top of the dresser that was in the couple's bedroom. And the search for Nancy begins fairly promptly. Law enforcement officials and loved ones make calls to area hospitals, hoping that someone with Nancy's description may have been brought there. They called every taxi service in the area, wondering whether or not any of their drivers had picked up Nancy from their home in those early hours of the morning on July 2nd, and no one had. Search parties combed through the lush woodlands near the Riggins' home and the banks of the Patapsco River on foot in search for Nancy. The Howard County Police Department called upon the confined area search team that works with the local fire department. They are especially trained to safely trek through local waterways and even caves to search for people, whether they'd be living or dead, and their expertise could be crucial in finding Nancy. 
They even called upon a Maryland State Police helicopter to search the nearby Patapsco Valley State Park for any signs of Nancy. Even with their utilization of heat-seeking technology, all of these efforts to search for Nancy came up empty. A search for a missing person goes far beyond just the physical act of searching for the individual. Behind the scenes, investigators are trying to make sense of that individual's disappearance. They are essentially interviewing friends and family of the missing person. Information about when and where that person was last seen, what kind of mood they were in, the kinds of things that they may have mentioned or even failed to mention to others in those last conversations can be crucial in helping law enforcement not only to find where that person might be, but also to determine the circumstances of their disappearance. Especially in the case of a missing adult, the circumstance of a person's disappearance can really impact the way that law enforcement approaches a case. Missing adults are a little bit different than missing children. Adults have a greater sense of free will than children do. If an adult woman wanted to leave her home without telling anyone where she was going or why, because of free will, she would be able to do so. It wouldn't be the most responsible thing to do, especially when someone has loved ones who care about them and children who depend on them, but technically, it is not illegal for an adult to make themselves vanish without a trace, especially in a time before social media. Law enforcement can assist families in these types of missing persons investigations, but if it becomes apparent that there was no crime committed that led to the person's disappearance, they can drop the investigation. But adults can also go missing due to far more grim circumstances, and the disappearance of Nancy Riggins was starting to feel like it could be due to a grim circumstance. Both Nancy's loved ones and investigators felt that it was incredibly suspicious that the Riggins' five-year-old daughter had been left alone in the house. And I need to explain another piece of the puzzle before I can really make this fact make sense outside of the simple context of the fact that a five-year-old being raised by responsible parents probably shouldn't be left completely alone in a home with the front door unlocked, regardless of whether or not the child is sleeping. But as part of this initial report to investigators, Steve Riggins informed detectives that he and his wife had been having relationship issues in the months that led up to her disappearance. The issues in the relationship stemmed from the discovery of an extramarital affair that Steve had been engaged in, and statements from some of Nancy's colleagues corroborated this story. They had gone so far as to say that Nancy was planning to divorce her husband over the affair. Friends of Nancy believed that even if she had hit her final straw with Steve and decided to leave while he was at work, she would have taken Amanda with her, rather than leaving her completely alone in the house. And as the investigation progressed, more details about Steve's affair began to emerge. Three days into the investigation, detectives learned that Stephen Riggins had been engaged in an extramarital affair with the 18-year-old babysitter that the couple hired to occasionally watch their five-year-old daughter. And this affair had some history. Steve Riggins' relationship with the babysitter began four years earlier. Now, think of all of these facts in the context of that circumstance of Nancy's disappearance that I mentioned earlier. Put yourself in the shoes of a detective working the case. We know that Nancy and Steve Riggins were having problems in their relationship that stemmed from Steve's admission to an affair with the couple's babysitter. We know that Nancy was at the giant supermarket for her shift on July 1st, just hours before she would disappear, and she had mentioned to colleagues, at least before, that she was ultimately planning to divorce her husband. 
We do know that Steve Riggins left the couple's home in the evening on July 1st, before his shift at the water treatment plant began at 6 p.m., and around 8 p.m. that same evening, he had called the house and spoken to Nancy on the phone, but she said nothing that would have made him think that she was going to leave their home or the marriage that night. We do know that when Steve Riggins returned to the couple's home after his shift ended at 6 a.m. on July 2nd, Nancy's minivan was still in the driveway, the front door was unlocked, wedding rings were on the couple's dresser, and their five-year-old daughter was asleep in her bedroom alone. We also know that Steve Riggins waited 26 hours after he discovered his wife's absence to contact law enforcement and report her missing. For law enforcement, one of the most puzzling facts in the case was the reality that the couple's five-year-old daughter had been discovered in the home completely alone. From discussions with friends and family, it was pretty apparent to law enforcement that even if Nancy had been eager to leave her marriage, she would not have left her daughter behind. This, coupled with the fact that Steve had waited 26 hours to report his wife's disappearance, raised enough question in investigators' minds to fear that Nancy's disappearance was more than a disgruntled wife seizing the opportunity to leave her husband. Even though a body had yet to be found, law enforcement feared that this missing persons case may quickly become a homicide case, and it appeared that Nancy's husband, Steve, may be responsible. The investigation and searches for Nancy continue on for months to no avail, and while law enforcement can't prove that Steve killed Nancy, or even if Nancy had been killed in the first place, there seems to be something a bit off about him. Throughout the investigation, Steve is acting a bit suspiciously. It's almost as if he's been a little too calm about his wife's disappearance. And even though he and his wife were having issues in their marriage at the time she disappeared, his behavior is off. It's almost like he was unbothered that his wife had disappeared. If anything, it appears that Steve is using this opportunity of his wife's disappearance to move on and deepen the intensity of his relationship with the couple's babysitter. Law enforcement become incredibly suspicious of Steve's behavior when it's discovered that he asked the babysitter to move into the family's home with him only four days after his wife disappeared, and he had given the 18-year-old Nancy's engagement ring. Investigators were able to secure warrants and search the Riggins' home and automobiles about a week after Nancy disappeared, but all of these searches are failing to turn up any clues. There was still no sign that a struggle had taken place or really that anything had happened to Nancy outside of her just vanishing without a trace. Law enforcement believed that at this rate, the best way for them to elevate the case from a missing person investigation to a homicide was to somehow glean a confession from Steve. The initial plan was to have the babysitter wear a wire and try to convince Steve to talk about Nancy and her disappearance. However, this plan fizzled out pretty quickly. On August 11th of 1996, police were able to get a close family friend of Steve's, a man named John Thomas, to wear a wire, and they were hoping that he would catch Steve in a confession. Unfortunately, there was no confession made, and police were back to square one. The fact that police still had yet to discover Nancy's body, the fact that their attempts to secure a confession were falling flat, and that they'd found no physical evidence that suggested a homicide had occurred, meant that Howard County Police decided not to press criminal charges against Steve Riggins related to his wife's disappearance or murder. However, there was a secondary investigation taking place that did not necessarily have to do with Nancy's disappearance directly, but rather it had to do with facts that came up throughout the investigation. 
I've mentioned throughout this episode so far that the Riggins' marriage was in jeopardy after Steve admitted to an affair with the 18-year-old babysitter that the couple had hired to watch their 5-year-old daughter. I also mentioned earlier that in the course of the investigation into Nancy's disappearance, it had come to light that Steve's relationship with the babysitter had not been a recent fling, but rather that the couple had been secretly having an affair for about four years, which meant that the affair with the babysitter, who was 18 when Nancy disappeared in 1996, was still a minor when the affair began, which is very much a crime. So on February 4th, 1997, Steve Riggins was arrested on charges of child sexual abuse that related to his relationship with the babysitter, who, at the time that the affair had started, was a minor. According to a Washington Post article that was published around the time of Riggins' arrest, Steve's sexual relationship with the babysitter began in the fall of 1992, when the girl was only 15 years old. Steve was 35. The babysitter asserted that the couple met weekly to have sex from that point in 1992 until the time that Nancy disappeared. Nancy's family and friends watched in the courtroom as Steve Riggins pled guilty to the felony charges. Nancy's sister flew all the way across the country from her home in San Francisco to be there, and she, along with many others, hoped that there was some way that investigators would be able to tie information from the affair back to Nancy's disappearance. On November 13th, Riggins was given an 18-month sentence in the Howard County Detention Center, followed by five years of supervised probation. Steve was released from jail after serving 13 months behind bars, and the conversations that Steve had while within the walls of the Howard County Detention Center would one day help to break the case in his wife's disappearance wide open. So in August of 2000, an inmate came forward to authorities with some information about conversations he'd had with Steve Riggins while he was serving his sentence for the felony child sexual abuse charge. The inmate asserted that on the night that Nancy supposedly disappeared, Steve admitted to having come home from work late at night and strangling her. But Steve never told the fellow inmate what he had done with the body. So information from jailhouse informants is not always reputable in every case. But in the case of Nancy Riggins, where there had been no leads outside of the suspicious behavior of her husband for four years, this was finally a lead that they could hold on to. The Maryland state's attorney decided it was time to take another look at the case from this admission, and despite the fact that there was no body, no murder weapon, and no DNA, Stephen Riggins was charged with first-degree murder on September 21, 2000. And Stephen Riggins' trial began in July of 2001. Prosecutors had an uphill battle from the start. Even though additional searches for remains had been conducted, Nancy's body still had not been recovered. And a homicide case can already be difficult to prosecute, but it's even more difficult without a body. But even without the body, the prosecutor knew that they could paint a picture of Stephen Riggins' motive to murder his wife, Nancy. And they could do it with not only the testimony of Nancy's friends, family, and colleagues, but also from Riggins' own behavior in the wake of Nancy's disappearance. During the trial, the prosecution's case was essentially this, that Steve Riggins killed his wife Nancy to continue his relationship with the babysitter, who in 1996 had turned 18 and would no longer be considered a minor, so their relationship would be legal. Nancy had discovered the affair and was preparing to divorce him and report his relationship with the babysitter, who had been a minor when the affair began, to authorities. 
According to the prosecution's argument, Stephen Riggins killed his wife to prevent her from reporting the affair to law enforcement, and then used the opportunity of his wife's death to continue and deepen the intensity of his relationship with the babysitter. Despite the fact that there was no body, no murder weapon, or any other physical evidence to prove that Steve Riggins had killed his wife, or even that she'd been killed in the first place, on July 20th, 2001, Steve Riggins was found guilty of first-degree murder. And on November 20th, he was sentenced to life in prison. According to a Baltimore Sun article that was published around the time of his sentencing, Riggins' sentence would give him the possibility of parole after he served 15 years behind bars. For Nancy's family and friends, the verdict felt like some semblance of justice, but it still felt very frustrating, especially to investigators, that Nancy's body had never been found, despite all of their search efforts. In October of 2007, Steve was approached by two of the investigators from Nancy's case, who never gave up on finding her body and giving her family and friends the closure that they deserved. As a bargaining chip, they offered to testify on Steve's behalf at his upcoming parole hearing, to tell the board that he had cooperated with investigators. It took two weeks, but Steve eventually led investigators to a patch of grass about three miles from where the couple had once lived in that picture-perfect postcard town of Elkridge, Maryland. He pointed to an area and said, she's right over there. The area was investigated, and remains were found that were confirmed to belong to Nancy Riggins. Finally, over 11 years after she vanished without a trace, her family could find the closure they had so long waited for. And that's all for this week's episode of Lawn Disorder. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and if you haven't already, subscribe to Precinct 444 to get new episodes every week. We have four shows on the network, Encore, Lifeline, Icons, and Lawn Disorder. And if you want more true crime, look for the other yellow icons in our past episode library. You can find them wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, if you find yourself in Washington, D.C., give the museum a visit at 444 East Street Northwest, right off the red line at Judiciary Square. We're open to the general public Thursdays through Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and we'd love to see you here. And one final bit of housekeeping, the National Law Enforcement Museum is now on TikTok. If you've ever wanted to put a face to the voice that you listen to on the podcast, you'll at least see me in a lot of these videos. So give us a follow at Law Enforcement Museum on the app. We're having a lot of fun with it, and we hope that you will too. So until next time, stay safe, and we look forward to having you back here at The Precinct. Please subscribe to Precinct 444 on your favorite podcasting platform to stay connected and to receive our latest content as soon as it drops. We would love to hear from you. Send in your questions, comments, and feedback to precinct444 at nleomf.org. You can help us make our content even better. The National Law Enforcement Museum is located at 444 East Street Northwest in Washington, D.C., and is dedicated to telling the story of American law enforcement. We expand and enrich the relationship between law enforcement and the community through educational journeys, immersive exhibitions, and insightful programs. Find us online at lawenforcementmuseum.org and stay tuned for more podcast content from Precinct 444. Until next time, stay safe. We'll see you at the Precinct. Precinct.